Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 146. Gold Diggers, today we are digging into writing a book 101 with the incredible author and girl boss, Rachel Hollis. This rock star woman is a best-selling author, a TV personality, a public speaker, a CEO, not to mention a mother of four. As if that weren't enough, Rachel was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 30 entrepreneurs under 30, and she is deeply passionate about women in business. In addition to an online reach in the millions, Rachel Rachel has written several books from cookbooks to fiction series, all the way to her most recent Girl, Wash Your Face. And she has been one of the most impressive book launchers that I've ever met. And today she is absolutely 100% peeling back the curtain and letting us see how the magic happens. This is one of the most tangible episodes of the show. And I loved being able to ask her honest conversations and questions about writing a book. She made me want to write a book. I mean, that's saying a lot about this girl. Before we dive on into today's show, I want to read the review of the week from Critterbit. I love that username. It says, I love listening to Jenna to start my day off. As a veteran marketer, I sometimes find creative blocks in my own process. By listening to Jenna, I feel like I have my very own mentor to kick me in the pants every morning in the most loving way. Great content, fresh perspective, incredible insights. Love, love, love. If you want your review read on the show, you got to leave one. It's as simple as that. My only ask for you, Gold Diggers, as you tune in week after week is would you take a minute to leave a review for us? It truly means the world to me, and it helps get people like Rachel Hollis to show up on this incredible show. So without further ado, let's dive on into the process of writing a book with my friend, Rachel Hollis. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru, Jenna Kutcher, will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Guys, I am so excited about today's sponsor, Slack. Slack is a brilliant communication channel. We talked about it on the show before, and it is for all things business related. Sort of like an organized instant message designed specifically for work topics and quick exchanges of information within your team. Slack is the communication channel of Team Jenna Kutcher. We use it every single day, and I don't know how we ever lived without it. To learn why Slack is irreplaceable in my business, head to slack.com. That's right. Find all the magic at slack.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. I am so excited to introduce you to Rachel. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I was listening to Rachel's podcast before. First things first, I love interviewing other podcasters and I love listening to their shows because I just think that there is space for all of us and Mm -hmm. my fellow girls unite. So 
first things first, thank you for being a voice in my ear this morning. But I want to dive on in and just kind of share for those who don't know you, who are you? What is your story? And how has your journey kind of unfolded over the last few years? Sorry, the UPS just walked in. Yeah, today's oh, Wednesday. Fine. Thank you so much. Welcome to Real <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I, it's so funny. So I have an office and a staff here in LA, but Wednesdays work from home Wednesday. So I'm sitting in here and the door open and all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is where I get murdered on the Gold Digger <laughs> podcast. This is so crazy. Um, I no. love keeping this stuff in because... Yes, um, it's so you, real. Oh, my husband is like hiding in our bedroom, keeping our dogs quiet yes, right now. Yeah, the reality... I- is not what you see online. (laughs) It is not glamorous ever. Yeah. So I am Rachel Hollis and I am, man, it's so, you should know by now, like after this many years, I should be able to just quickly tell you my (laughs) elevator pitch. I run a lifestyle media company based in Los Angeles. I am an author of six books that are out. The seventh one comes out in May. I, like you, have a podcast, uh, social presence, all of that good stuff. And my passion is giving women the tools to change their life. Mm -hmm. So that shows up in business tips or how to make a dinner your kids will actually eat. Anything that's sort of going on in my own life is what you'll see manifest in my social media and in my books. And my intention always is to tell you exactly how I got here. So it's not, I am by no stretch of the imagination an expert. I'm just your girlfriend telling you Mm -hmm. what worked for her. I love that. And one thing I think is so great about Rachel is it's like the veil is removed and here is exactly (laughs) what's going on. So what has your journey looked like in terms of writing? One thing that I love about you is that you've wanted to write since you were a little girl. And so Mm -hmm. how did that all come into existence? Yeah. So I actually, I think first it's important to say I'm a massive book nerd. Like I read three books a week at least. Like I'm, and it's both nonfiction and fiction. And I think like most book nerds, if you read a ton and you write, so years ago when I was blogging full time, I was reading a ton and then I was writing during the day. I was writing about like pot roast or how to make a throw pillow, but I was writing all day long. And so I started to think about, gosh, I really love to have a book. And it's something I dreamed about since I was a little girl. And so I did what a lot of people do is I started and stopped probably 25 manuscripts, which is what a lot of like author, people who dream of being an author, you start and then it gets hard. And then you're like, I'll just start a new one. So in the midst of writing this manuscript, I was approached by a lit agent, which I hate to even tell that story because it just seems so unfair. Like nobody just has a lit agent call them out of the blue and say like, Hey, do you want to do something? But you know, don't worry, like it didn't work out at all. But I had a lit agent who reached out and said, Hey, I'd love to work on a book proposal with you. And I was like, Oh, I like in my own mind, I'm like, Oh, I'm here. It is like, finally, I'm just going to get the six figure book deal and I'm going to be a Pulitzer prize winning novelist. And it's just all coming together exactly how I planned. And I said, Oh, fantastic. I'm actually writing a story right now about a girl who can time travel. (laughs) And she was like, Oh, sweet, holy mother. Um, (laughs) No, no. I actually wanted to talk to you about writing sort of like a coffee table book about event planning because I, for years and years and years, owned a high-end event planning company in Los Angeles. And I was now a blogger who was sort of famous in the space of event planning and entertaining at home. So she's like, oh, I'd love for you to write about this book. And I, was, I thought, oh, the one thing I, I knew, and this is, this is what I would recommend to any listeners who are interested in having their own books is, man, you have to do the research. You have to know the genre really well that you want to write in. You have to know who are the other authors who write like this. What's the word count that I need for this style of book? What's the process to submit? And the one thing that I knew is that if I had a nonfiction coffee coffee table style book, and it didn't do well, I would never get another book deal. People would be forgiving of, let's say, a novel because there isn't as much cost involved in that. There are no pictures, right? But if someone does a full print color pictures, the layout, the design, if they invest that much money and it fails, Mm -hmm. nobody's offering you another deal. So I at least had the knowledge to know 
that shouldn't be the first thing I enter the market with. So I said, oh gosh, I'm a little nervous about that. I had a social presence at the time, but nowhere near what it is today. So I don't think I could pull it off. And she's like, let me see if I can find a way to incorporate the fact that you want to write fiction and that you were an event planner. And she called me about a week later and said, would you ever consider writing a Ramana Clay? Ramana Clay, the best example of one is Devil Wears Prada. So it's when someone is writing about real celebrities or notable figures, but you change the names. And all of my clients had been celebrities. So I had like, as soon as she asked me, I thought, oh my gosh, I know this story. I lived this story. And so I sat down at my computer and I wrote 10,000 words. It just flew out of me of this fiction account of a girl moving from a small Southern town and being thrust into celebrity events, which was the story of my life and sent it to her. And she said, famous last words, never listen to an agent guys. She said, Oh honey, (laughs) I can sell this all day long. And I promptly stopped bathing. I didn't care for my children. I stopped making, I didn't do anything but write this book because I was positive that we were going to sell it. And this was the start of my career as an author. So I finished the book, I turn it in. And the next step in this process is then that that agent sends it to every publisher the world has ever known. And they all decide whether or not they like it. And just as a point of reference, this was right around the time that Fifty Shades of Grey was really becoming a thing. Like the very first book was really becoming a thing. And just like what happens with fashion or in movies or in music, when there's a trend that becomes popular, everybody tries to replicate it. So Mm. I turn in this book, which was about me as this like, nerdy, awkward party planner. And I got a call with two really big publishers. They said, Hey, can we set up a conference call? And I was like, Oh my Lord, this is it. (laughs) Like we are, here we go. And I get on the first conference call and they say, Oh, it's like really great. Like a great first start. You know, the only thing is they're like stumbling over their words. I'm like, what is this? They say, the only thing is it's, you know, it's really sweet. And I was like, it is sweet. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And they're like, no, no, no. Sweet is, is not necessarily a good thing. We were wondering, would you put sex in the book? And I... I don't know how old you are, Jenna, but I felt like an after school special. Okay. So I'm 35. (laughs) When I was little, there were things called after school specials where you watched a video about someone like offering you crack after school and being like, we'll be friends with you if you just smoke this crack. That's what I felt like on this phone call. They were like, we'll like you if you put sex in your book. And just as a side note, I love a romance novel. I love it. I just don't know how to write that. And it wasn't my story. And I was really conscious of the fact that like, oh, this feels so weird. I don't think I could do that. And they said, oh, okay. Well, without sex in the book, no one will buy this. And I was like gutted. I'm okay. Thank you so much for your time. But I still had another call. I have another conference call. Same thing. Hey, we love this, but can you fill it with sex? So it reads like a modern day romance. And I was like, I can't. This is my story. My Mima will have a heart attack. Like I cannot write this into my first book. So again, they say, well, thank you, but we're not interested. And the very last day, the very last publisher turned the book down. I ugly cried. Not like little, not like sweet tears. Like I'm sobbing on my bathroom floor. One of my children knocked on the door like, mommy. And I'm like, find your father. Leave me alone. My dreams are dead. Because I just thought this is it. It's done. Like everybody's turned it down. You're a terrible writer. Uh, It's never going to sell. All those things going around in my brain. And I had a good cry. And then I swear to you that I just thought, wait a minute. Like, it's never been easy. You've had to fight your way into every door that you've gotten in. You've never accepted no as your answer. You're not going to start now. And I got up off the bathroom floor, walked to the kitchen, poured a glass of wine, and I Googled, how do you self-publish a book? And I ended up self-publishing Party Girl. And the very reason 
that they said it wouldn't sell was the very reason it took off. Was in a market that was saturated by a certain kind of book, here was this book that didn't have that. So you could give it to your daughter in high school or you could give it to the women in your church group and not feel weird about it. And one woman passed it to another, passed it to another, and it became a bestseller on its own. And six months later, a publisher called and said, hey, we're seeing the numbers from this book. We'd like to buy it and turn it into a series. And it launched my publishing career. And I always tell that story because I like to remind women and men that nobody, even the experts in the field, get to decide how big your dreams can be. Mm -hmm. Nobody, like plenty of people can tell you no, but it's up to you to decide not to accept that as the final answer. So that's how I got started in publishing. I love that. I always say too, no doesn't have to mean no, never. It could mean no, not right now or no. Or no, no. not with us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that that sets the stage so perfectly to dig into what it's been like since that first book. So you have written almost eight books. I'm saying almost because the eighth is on its way. Yep. I should be done by Sunday. Fingers crossed. (laughs) So what has that journey looked like since that first book? How has it transformed? Are you still self-publishing? What has that looked like for you? No. So, so after I sold that book and then subsequently sold, it was the first time I'd ever sold a book on spec. So just to explain what that means, when you haven't ever had a published book before, when you haven't had success in this space, you have to, this is for my aspiring writers, you have to have a completed manuscript before you even talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. When you're later on in your career, like right now, the book I'm currently writing, I was able to tell them what I wanted to write. And they were like, great, here's a check. Because I've proven myself as an author. I've proven that I can work on deadline, all the things. But when you're first starting out, you have to have something completely done that they can read. So after they bought Party Girl, they wanted to buy the other two books in the series. And the irony was I never, ever realized that that was a series. I thought Party Girl was a standalone book, but I also, hey, gosh, it'd be great to have more books. And I like money. That's fun. So I took that book deal. And for the first time in my life with the second book in the series called Sweet Girl, I had to write a book on a deadline, which I really, really want to like preach this over your listeners right now. (laughs) Everybody who even today like has this dream of this vision of if I could just get a book deal, if I could just get a book deal, girls, I assume that most of your audience are women. So ladies, it is a gift to write without a date looming on your horizon. It is a gift Mm -hmm. to write without like, oh my gosh, someone gave me a check. I know this sounds backwards, but writing that second book, Hey, Here's an Advance, now turned it in by the state was possibly one of the most stressful periods of my entire life because now there's expectation. Now this book needs to sell as good as the first one did. There's just a lot that comes with that. So I want to encourage you right now that if you're in this space and you want to be a writer, it's not about a book deal. It's about a finished manuscript. Mm-hmm. So, so I wrote the second book and ended up putting that one out, wrote the third. And while I was writing the third, I got an offer to write a cookbook from a totally different publisher, which as someone at the time, I got my start in blogging as a food blogger. And so I had always wanted to have my own cookbook. And I was really excited. And I did, I'll just tell you guys all the mistakes I made. I made the first big mistake in my publishing career, which I, which was I signed two book contracts that were unfortunately due around the same time. (laughs) What is wrong with me? It was so dumb. But I just, I am a very fast writer and I knew that I could do it. And I just wasn't contemplating if all you had to do was write, certainly you could turn these in. But if you have babies to raise and a, a company and a staff that needs your help and people are counting on you, suddenly that means you're going to wake up at five in the morning and you're going to write after the kids are in bed. It's just super stressful. So the cookbook, I wrote the cookbook. And here's another fun fact, because I'm going to assume that those people in in your tribe who are dreamers who want to write a book, a lot of them will kind of think along the, the lines of like a coffee table style nonfiction. Mm-hmm. There are photos involved. The production time on a book like that is astronomical. Mm -hmm. So 
for both my books, both my cookbooks, it takes about two years Rachel. from the time you sign a contract to the time it comes out, right? So I just want to, I just want everyone to think because I think if I could go back in my career and have the savvy that I have now, I would think through, is this worth the amount of time it's going to take? And what will my company look like two years from now? That's a really big, you almost have to be sort of futuristic, forward thinking, where are we going to be two years from now when this kind of book comes out? (laughs) What are we going to be doing as a company a year from now? If it's like the book that I'm writing currently that I'm going to finish this weekend, that'll come out in March of 2019. So I will tell you, I am so strategic about laying the groundwork for what I want to do in March of 2019 and beyond (laughs) so that I'm writing for the future, not today. I don't know if this is like too high level for everybody, but that's something I wish I had thought of is publishing takes a really long time when you go the traditional route. That's one of the gifts of self-publishing is that if you have a book ready right now, you could have a book on Amazon available for purchase by next week. Mm-hmm. That's bananas. And it really was a massive step for me to get my name out as an author and establish myself. I'm a big believer in if someone tells me no, I'll do it on my own and prove that it's a viable option. And then you're going to want to get it from me later. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I jumped all over the place. No. But those are some things I wish I had known at the time was just the strategy of book writing and what people really wanted. And to be totally honest with you, and this is hilarious because as people are listening to this podcast, it'll just be a hot minute from the next cookbook. That is, those were pet, I don't want to say pet projects. Those are passion projects for me. I love Mm -hmm. food. I love recipes. I love to entertain in my home, but that is not what I am best known for. And that is not what my audience really wants from me. I was listening. Do you listen to How I Built This podcast? Yes, I love it. It's like the best and everybody should listen to it if you haven't already. But I was listening to the one with Jenny's ice cream. Okay. Have you heard that? It's really good. You You should check it out. So she's talking about the idea. And this was such a great thought and a great thought for the entrepreneurs and hustlers who are listening right now. She said she was, she had owned this ice cream own this ice cream parlor, it failed. Nothing happened with it. And she was out of work for about six months and she walks into her favorite coffee shop. And the only thing on like the joy of her life was she was going to go to her favorite local coffee shop and she was going to get an orange scone. That's all she wanted for her day. She waits in line. She walks up to the cash register and she says, I'll have a medium coffee and an orange scone. And the girl says, we don't have scones today. And not only did they not have scones, but they didn't care that that was what she had looked forward to. And she said, I realized that that was what I had done to my customers that made my business fail. Mm -hmm. She said, I I was running a business for myself as an artist and a creative. A lot of times we reach for the thing that we love instead of paying attention to what our customers and our audience really loves about us. Mm -hmm. It's like when you go to, you go to see a band, like I love Aerosmith, my favorite band of all time. And when I first saw Aerosmith, they tried to do a bunch like, this is the song off the new album. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Give me what I want. <laughs> I guess I came here for crying. I came here for amazing. Like, don't you give me new album. I think that that's a really wise thing, whether you're, you have an Etsy shop or you want to write books or you have a podcast or even your Instagram feed is really paying attention to the signs of life, really paying attention to what people admire you for. She said, she was talking about ice cream. She's like, you're going to come back for salted caramel. You're walking in my door for salted caramel. Once I have you in the door, I can convince you to try, you know, pumpkin curry. I can convince you to try something new, but I can't get you in the door unless I can keep offering you the value that you've come to know Mm -hmm. from me. So in my publishing career, it's something I wish that I had clued into sooner is this is really what they want. It took me forever to write Girl, Wash Your Face. Girl, Wash Your Face is unlike anything I've done before because it's it's motivational and I hope inspiring and real and authentic. And it is, if I had paid attention, if I had said, man, what do they most respond to on Instagram or Facebook? Let me write a book about that. I would have been a best-selling author five years mm-hmm. ago. So that's just something as you're thinking about writing 
yes, there's creativity and what does your soul want to do and how can we weave our own voice into this narrative? But gosh, if you're not writing with your tribe in mind, you are going to be, you know, they might buy it because they're your friend, but it's not going to pass the walls of the group that you already have for what it's worth. Oh, I think <laughs> that is that was the most long-winded answer ever. Rach, keep talking to me. No, the thing that <laughs> freaks me out about that is thinking like two years, I don't even know what I'm going to eat for lunch. Like Exactly. That is right? crazy. And, and if I would have looked at myself two years ago and, and saw myself sitting in my attic talking to you and recording a podcast, I would have laughed. Like, yeah. so I think that it's such a beautiful thing because I don't think we dream like we used to. I don't think we even mm-hmm. give ourselves margin to dream like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also it's slightly terrifying. So one of my biggest questions, and you are the girl to break this down, is can you explain some of the main differences between self-publishing and working with a publisher? Because I think that sure. a lot of people just don't know. You know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. So break it down for me, sister. So here's why... Like the biggest difference is an advance. Mm -hmm. Let's just start there. The biggest difference is money. If you're working with a traditional publisher, they're going to give you a check that could be, if it's a small publishing house, it could be $2,000. If it's a big publishing house, it could be six figures. For some massive authors, it's seven figures. They're giving you a check and they're saying, we believe that your book is going to sell at least enough books for us to get this amount of money back. Mm -hmm. So they're giving you an advance. And then once you sell through your advance, meaning like I will just, I will be fully transparent. So with Girl Wash Your Face, my annual goal was, maybe I'll get punched in the face for being this honest, <laughs> but I'll just tell you guys. My annual goal was 37,000 copies of Girl Wash Your Face. Right. It was basically like, if you can sell 37,000 copies of Girl Wash Your Face, you will have paid us back the advance that we gave you. Everyone go buy uh, this book now because yes. Rachel is telling oh, us. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you all the things. So it is the first time in my publishing career, you guys, that it's we're five weeks into the book and it has outsold its annual oh. goal. That is I've amazing. never had that happen. Never, never, never. So thank you to everybody who's been posting it on your social. I super appreciate it. It's also like, oh my gosh, what a huge stress off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Because when someone, you need to think of if you're going with a traditional publisher, they are your business partner. Mm-hmm. And I know there are authors who sort of think like, they're paying me, I turn in a product, it's on them. I have had success in my business as long as I've been in business because I think if you get into business with me, this needs to be as successful for you as it is for me. So it's a huge like weight for me to think, okay, you gave me this money and I want to make sure that I am a good like partner for you. So thank you, Lord, when they actually, they sent an email yesterday and told us where we were at with sales and like my whole office cheered because I was like, you guys, we have to make sure we get that yeah. and praise the Lord. We did it in five weeks. Thank you. So you get an advance. Once you sell through your advance numbers, you start to earn royalties So royalties is something that you negotiate up front and depending on the publisher, it could be you get 30% of every time someone buys a book, you're going to get 30% or you're going to get 40% or you're going to get 10%, totally depends on the publisher. And that's how you could make money in perpetuity forever and ever. Amen. If you self-publish, you're not getting an advance up front. What you do get is a massive percentage of your sales. Mm. So the space that you're going to want to be on if you're self-publishing is Amazon. And you can be on Barnes & Noble, iTunes. There's places you can put it up everywhere. But where you're most likely going to get sales is on Amazon. And they have a platform that you can use. Oh, blessed assurance. What is it called? Hold on. I want to make sure... Amazon self-publishing. I haven't used it in so long. That makes me want to sing Blessed Assurance. um, Yeah, it's called KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. So it's kdp.amazon.com. And it walks you through the process. Here's how you're going to upload your book. Okay, next you're going to do your cover. Next you're going to do this. And the genius of self-publishing is it's print on demand. So until someone buys your book, they don't print it. So it's not like the old days where if you want to self-publish, you were like, okay, uh, you know, my mom's going to loan me money and we're going to buy 5,000 copies of this book and we're towing them around in the trunk of our car and just hope that we sell them. Mm. This is best case scenario because if nobody buys, you're not out 
the money of investing in the book. I would tell you this. If you have a social platform, if you have an active and engaged audience, you are probably better off to market and sell your book than most traditional publishing companies are mm -hmm. today. And that is just the absolute truth. Because what I have learned, and I've worked with three different publishers, all of which are big publishers, is that if you come in as kind of the low man on the totem pole, like this is a new author, we're really taking a, we're taking a chance on her, we don't really know what she's going to do, you're not getting the PR support that you need, you're not getting the marketing support that you need, and you're still going, like if you want your book to be successful, it's going to be you on your social media, in your email list, doing all the things that Jenna tells mm -hmm. you to do, that's what you're going to have to do to sell that book. So to me, I kind of think, well, if that's going to be the case, then shoot, I may as well just try and mm -hmm. sell it myself. I may as well just get the money myself. With my platform today, with your platform today, Jenna, if you self-publish right now, I think you'd be shocked at how much money you could make. In fact, a lot of authors in the fiction space won't even do traditional publishing deals anymore because they're like, mm -hmm. why would I? I have a platform, I'm a big enough name, I can get my book into Barnes and Noble, no problem, and I'm gonna get 70% of every sell. That is, that's worth. So if it, I guess as you're starting out, the question to ask yourself is, am I doing this for mm -hmm. marketing? Do I wanna market my company? In which case, you know, maybe it is a traditional route. Am I doing this because I wanna be a New York Times bestseller or a USA Today bestseller? If that's your goal, then you absolutely have to go traditional publishing because with self-publishing, you're not even going to have a chance at that. Or is this about an added revenue mm -hmm. stream? Do I want some additional income for my business? In which case, self-publish all day long. There is no, I know there's a little bit of like a stigma about, you know, if you're not, if you're not self-published, you're not a real author. No, screw that noise. I'm sorry. If you write a book Friends, if you get a manuscript done, you're an author, period. You've got a book, you're an author. I know there are women right now who are like, I have completed manuscripts, they're still sitting on my computer. You guys, if I had listened to the publishing world, my book would still be sitting on my computer. I would not be the author that I am today. I would not have the platform that I have today if I hadn't just swallowed my pride and self-published the book. I've already told you briefly about the magic of Slack, but that was just skimming the surface of this incredible program. On Team Jenna Kutcher, we use it to share projects, ideas, answer quick questions without waiting on someone to reply to an email. It's a total game changer in small business. It saves you time, improves productivity. It's super easy and convenient. It works everywhere you go. You can even get a mobile app. And simply put, it's efficient, organized, and it ensures that every member of my team is always in the loop. I can't imagine coordinating everything without it. And I'm so thankful to Slack for sponsoring today's episode. Head to slack.com if you are ready to take your business to the next level. That is slack.com. Slack, it's where work happens. I love that. Thank you for breaking that down because I feel mm -hmm. like, like there are so many things in life where it's no one really removes the veil. So you don't really know. And I feel like having a sure. publisher just sounds so like Gucci and like awesome. Oh, but at the yeah. Same, it's like so yeah, at the same point yeah. too, like, I think what you just said was super eye opening. So my question for you is this, like, how do you stay inspired? How do you keep having content? I feel like I would write one and done. Like, <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'm an interesting cat in that I have written in three different genres now. Of four, I guess you kind of count this new book. And I, so I heard this at a writer's conference years ago, and that is something I'd really encourage those of you who are listening. A lot of times you don't know this information. You don't know what's behind the curtain. You don't know all this stuff until you start to immerse yourself in the culture. So if you are dreaming of being an author, if you want to join a writer's club or go to a writing conference or go to a conference that specifically is for authors in your genre, they have them all over the U.S. and I'm sure all over the world. And you can meet other people and talk to other people. And a lot of times that is very inspiring to me. When I read someone who's just incredible at their craft, it inspires me to want to be better. It inspires mm -hmm. me to want to do my next thing. I always get the idea for the next book when I'm writing the current one. And I heard that years ago at a conference, someone described it as like, if you were married and you've been married for 20 years 
and your wife's fine and all, but she's, you know, this is like, so I, let's switch it. Your husband's <laughs> fine and all, <clears throat> but you know, he's just getting, he's a little, he's a little pudgy around the waist. You're getting tired. And all of a sudden you see this hot young thing and he's beautiful and gorgeous. And you just know life's going to be so much easier with him. That is what it's like when you're writing. So whenever you're about halfway done with the manuscript, it feels like the hardest biggest slog. It feels impossible to get through. And then all of a sudden you start to daydream and fantasize about what the next book is going to be because you're like, Oh, another book would be so easy. This is what a lot of new writers do. This why they have 20 manuscripts that are half done because they've started one. It got hard and they switched to a new book. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that the only way through is that you have to get a first draft. You have to, have to, have to give, I'm getting off on another tangent. You have to get a first draft and then you're allowed to go start with the new man. I don't know why I've gone <laughs> on such a like, I've gone in such a terrible direction. But that's what happens for me a lot is that as, as I'm writing one, I'll start to dream about the next thing, which is what I'm doing right now. And then as soon as this book is done, I will start to just dabble and write things down and take notes and start daydreaming. Because have you read Big Magic yes. by Elizabeth Gilbert? Yes. Oh, right. So oh great. my gosh, it's so the idea. Everybody, yes, yes, they go away, and I absolutely believe that. If if y'all haven't read it, you should absolutely listen to it or listen to her podcast or read the book. But the idea is that it's sort of like hippie, but I'll go with it. That ideas are just kind of floating around in the atmosphere waiting for a human to make them real. Mm -hmm. And if you don't latch on to this idea when it's in your head, you experience those moments where, have you ever had a moment where you had this great idea and you didn't do anything with it? And then a year later or two years later, you saw the exact idea that you had thought of, but yep. someone else is doing it. Yep. And it's like, it moved on. I know it sounds a little like woo woo, whatever, but I believe that's true. So as I'm writing one book, I'll start to dream about about the next and I will just take notes. I also think it's like, it's that what are those questions that pop into your mind? What are those? I, I keep notes on my phone, the things that I'm marinating on or trying mm -hmm. to better explain, or maybe I want to talk about it in a podcast, or maybe I want to scratch this. But I also think as a creator, as a writer, I'm not really like put this into words before, but I always assume that every idea I have is worth something, mm -hmm. that there's something there to explore. And that's not me being overly confident or thinking I'm so special. I just think, oh, if I'm wondering about this, then maybe other women are too. Mm -hmm. And how, like, what's the answer here? How do I get at this? And I'll keep scratching at something until it, it becomes a snowball that rolls down the hill and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I realize like, oh, that's where we're headed next. Ugh. I love that. I made Drew text me. I'm a night thinker and I don't have my phone by my bed. I just charge yeah. it somewhere else. And so last night I like had an idea for an episode. I'm like, can you text me? <laughs> this it's like, I don't want to let it go and I don't want to, yeah. it. but I love that. My sister told me this morning that my grandpa sleeps with a notebook by his nightstand because he's a night thinker awesome. too. So, okay. So Rach, we have to talk about this because it is literally the most memorable book packaging launch party <laughs> I've ever had. And, and to be honest, you know, so many of my friends are in the process of writing or publishing or have written a book. And so I get so many books from so many amazing people. But Rachel recently launched a book that we've been talking about, Girl, Wash Your Face. And can you just talk about the process of promoting and launching and what that looks like after the work is done in creating? Yes. Yes. Thank you for that question, because I think is is so helpful That's for people. That's where the real work begins in really? some senses. Oh my gosh, <laughs> totally. Here is the truth, you guys, I just had this conversation with my husband last night and it was this like epiphany moment for me. And I told him, I like put my flag in the ground and I said, someday I'm going to do an interview with Forbes or something like that. And they're going to ask me the question, what was the biggest turning point in your career or for your company? And I'm going to tell you guys what I told him and what I will tell Forbes someday. I love it this. was the moment that I realized 
not just the power of tribes. If you if you've never read Seth Godin's book, you need to. But not just the power of a tribe, mm-hmm. because for the longest time, I've known the power of my tribe. I know the power. I know how engaged they are. I know that they'll show up for me. These women all over the world, just like you, those you have all your fans. They care about you. They love you. They're your listeners. They're going to do stuff for you. That I knew. Until Girl, Wash Your Face came out, I did not understand that it wasn't just about my tribe. It was about accessing other tribes Mm -hmm. because the people who are in your group, the people that love you and follow you, they also belong to other like, okay. So if you follow me, you might also follow Jenna. Mm -hmm. And if you follow Jenna, you might also follow, maybe you follow us because you're into business, but then you're also super into running. And so you might follow someone who has 200,000 fans on Instagram because she's a runner and she runs with her baby in a stroller or something. Well, you're part of that tribe too. So if you love my work or you love Jenna's work, you might take it to your other tribe. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm using that word a lot, but with a tribe, oh, let's go into a lesson here (laughs) with a group of people, especially women, especially women, there's a language. It's called tribal language. There's ways that we talk. There's hashtags that we use. Your tribe knows, you know, we're called gold diggers. We're all into it. There's also things that we do that because we're women, we A, trust the other people in our tribe and B, we want to be like them. Mm -hmm. So if someone in our group gets new running shoes and we're all runners, you'll start to see women in the group get those shoes too. If someone in the group decides to make a playlist and it's only Beyonce songs, you'll start to see other people shift and do the same. What has happened with Girl, Wash Your Face and what I didn't understand until now was that women in my tribe took the book to their tribes Mm -hmm. and it spread like wildfire. So all of a sudden, I have a ton of new fans who are in multi-level marketing, who are, they sell Rodin and Fields, they sell LuLaRoe, they sell Beachbody, they're Noonday Ambassadors, because those are also tribes. And so when they said, this is the book you need to read, everybody did. So what I would tell you as especially a woman, especially if you're doing anything lifestyle related, is what are the other tribes, what are the other groups that this also makes sense for? So for instance, with with you, Jenna, you share so much wisdom for women who have their own business, who do digital marketing, who do social media. That applies to so many things. If you can access those tribes where this information is relevant, that's how it grows. So I can't, all of that to say, you're asking about the influencer gifts that we gave. Because I'm a social influencer, because you're a social influencer, we know the power of that. Mm -hmm. We know, I know that if Jenna holds up my book on her Instagram stories and says, I'm reading this and I love it, her tribe will listen. And I have seen the success of this book because it started with an influencer campaign where typically a publisher, the publisher said, we have this budget. We'd like to send gifts to 150 influencers along with the book. And they wanted to send something small so that they could give it to a lot of people. And I was like, look, I get a lot of those gifts. I honestly, unless it's a friend of mine, I don't really do anything because it's just too many asks and I can't, but I would if someone sent me something really expensive, mm-hmm. that's honestly where my head was at. I was like, if someone sent me something really expensive, I'd be like, holy crap. Okay. I have to talk about this or just the shock and awe of receiving something big in the mail. So instead of doing 150 influencers, I asked if we could do 20. Could I send a gift to 20 people? That was really good. And so, cause the book's called girl, wash your face. Everybody got Clarisonic face scrubbers and they were amazing i mean legitimately (laughs) like when i got home so we were in hawaii for five weeks and when i got home we had so many packages which is such a silly problem what a blessed problem yeah so many packages i think i got i think i got six or seven books in the mail Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i opened yours and i was like oh my god i need a new clear (laughs) good it was so memorable and and i think sometimes too less can be more like quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And I think that totally. is such a representation of that, like a million. Yeah. Percent. 
Yeah. Well, so those 20 influencers, I would say maybe 10 of them were women that I was friends with. So they were for sure going to talk about it. 10 others I was like social media friends with. So it wasn't a guaranteed, you know, thing. But when those women who are, I know I keep using the word, you all want to punch me in the face, but when those women, which Seth Godin would call a tribal leader, when they said, this is cool, this book is good, you should talk about it, it gave permission for the women in their tribes to do the Mm -hmm. same. So that launched the ship that really did a lot. And I want to encourage you, I think a lot of times we get caught up in the idea that for someone to have influence, they need to have a million followers or a hundred thousand followers. Girls, someone who has 5,000 diehard dedicated followers is way more powerful Mm -hmm. than someone who has 500,000 followers who only follow her because she has pretty pictures. Mm -hmm. The 5,000 people are an army. They will take it on their backs. They will push it out into the world. So if you're going to launch a book or if you're going to launch a product, you have to think like big brands. Mm -hmm. What is your influencer campaign? That is a part of everything we do now. What is our influencer campaign? Who are we reaching out to? How are they talking about it? It's the best thing that I could think of. The other thing, I don't want to forget to say this. I think this is any product, book, whatever in the world. You're going to have to talk about it on your social media 1 million billion times. (laughs) And the way that you do that without alienating your audience is that you're going to talk about it a million times. And every single time you got to talk about it in a different way. It's got to be a different visual. It's got to be different copy. Maybe this time it's going to be a video. Maybe that time we're going to do like, we have a bunch of different types of ways that we talk about girl, wash your face. Mm -hmm. There was the campaign for people who got it in target. There was the Barnes and Noble special edition. We do on my Insta stories, we'll share people who have written reviews. Mm -hmm. We will um, share quotes, like all of these different things is a way for us to keep talking about it. And I hope doing it in a way that you're never annoyed as a follower, because you're not seeing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I get annoyed when I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you have a thing. You want me to sign up. We all follow these people where we're like, please, there's an author I love so much. And I'm, I'm like right on the edge of not following because it's just the same thing over and over and over and over. And I think, oh, please be mindful of of your audience. Please be mindful that we are rooting for you. But when all you're asking us to do is buy, it feels really disingenuous. I talk about my book constantly on every social platform and an email, but I very rarely do a direct ask. Mm -hmm. And I know you, you've talked about calls to action a lot. And I always love hearing you talk about that because it gives me courage Yes, (laughs) because I feel I like, uh, you know, like everybody else, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to bother you. It's like (laughs) that serving, 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 selling. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. But man, if you don't ask, they never will. And I'm really careful with my language too. So I'll say, because it's a book, I'll say, you need to buy this book or feel free to get it from your local library Mm -hmm. or borrow it from a friend. Mm -hmm. Like it's not about buying it. It's just, I want you to read it. So yeah, so you're going to have to talk about it a lot and you are going to have to get over the fact that you're nervous about, you know, talking about it too much because in social media, your audience is maybe 2% of your audience is seeing anything that you put out there. Mm-hmm. So get over it. You've worked so hard to create this product. You have to be able to tell people it's there. Oh, I love it. That is so good. Okay. We are going into the rapid fire round. Are you yes, ready? I'm ready. Oh. I'm ready. If anyone's <laughs> ever been ready, it is you. Okay. It's me. What is the very <clears throat> best thing about writing a book? Writing the last word on the last page is the greatest sense of accomplishment next to like giving birth to a child or running a marathon. It's the only thing I can compare it to. Okay. What is your least favorite thing about writing a book? Writing the first word on the first page. (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. That is just the truth because it's just like, okay, here we go. It never gets easier, you guys. Never one time. Book eight, it never gets easier. It's worth it, but it's never easier. Okay. If you could give one piece of advice to someone who has the desire to write a book, what would it be? Sit down in the chair and write the words. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people are obsessed with the idea that if they could just get the right writing space or if they can just get the right program or if they had the right... No, there's no trick. There's no hack. You write one word 
and another, and it turns into a sentence, which turns into a paragraph, which turns into a page. And you do that over and over and over until you get your word count. That's just what it is. Sit down and write the words. Oh, Rach. So good. Okay. So where can everybody find you, find your books, connect with you online, listen to your podcast? Give us all of the links. All the things. So I am Miss MS, Rachel Hollis, on every social media platform. I would say for those of you who are aspiring authors, and I'll send this to you too, Jenna, I have an old post on my blog that's how to write a book. It's the 10 things I wish I had known. How do you get a word count? How do you, how do you know what genre to write and all of that stuff? So that's the chicsite.com. You could search how to write a book and it'll pop up. And then my podcast is, is on iTunes and everywhere else. It's called Deus. And I hope, Jenna, I want to interview you. You need to come and and tell all the, share all the things. I will be Um, on there in a second. And we'll link all of your places at jennacutcherblog.com slash Rachel. And so you can find all of our links. I'm so excited to dig into your books and dig into the cookbook. And thank you for just removing that veil and just showing up just like you did. Because I think that this is so impactful in such an inspiring way, Rach. Oh, thank you. And I have to, I have to say, because I know there are women listening to this who wish they had this opportunity and I'm going to do it for them, for us, because I am such a massive fan of this podcast. Thank you for how hard you work, how much wisdom you bring, how much advice, like there is not another podcast in the world. And I love that it's by a woman where I'm taking the notes that I'm taking, where I'm getting like thoughts. I never, it's so tangible and specific. Mm. It'll be like how to make a Facebook ad. I'm like, here we go. It's not nebulous. It's not over the top. It's like, this is the stuff I actually need to know. So thank you so much for the work that you do for those of us who benefit from it every single day. Thank you so much. Rach, let's hug it out in real life soon. What do you say? So there you guys have it. Isn't Rachel fascinating? I love the way that she shares. And this is the girl that the second you stop hitting record, she's like, how can I help you? How can I teach you? How can I connect you? And there is so much to be said about women like that in business that that want to come together and create true community and see other people grow. And Rachel is top notch. I loved hearing about the difference between self-publishing and having a publisher and the reality that writing a book is a couple year long process. I mean, for a girl that legitimately doesn't know what's coming tomorrow, that freaks me out, but it's amazing and fascinating. And I also love that she didn't accept no. I think so often when we're starting out, we are so tender, we're so passionate, we're so wide-eyed that we hear that one no and we think that it means never. But Rachel is proof that if she would have believed that, she would have never gotten to where she is today. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder. And so my ask for you is this, Go get girl, wash your face. I love Rachel and the way that she speaks and writes, and I want to support the heck out of her. It was so, so awesome to have her on the show, almost like a mentor to us. And so I would love to just say thank you to her in such a tangible way. Of course, if you have any big takeaways, we absolutely love to hear them and love to support our guests. And I'm just so thankful that you guys spent today with me and Rachel. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And I cannot wait to chat with you next. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.